Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We're going to open to Luke chapter 7, um, verse 36 to 50. It should be on the screen behind me um, or grab a Bible if you've got one. Um, there's some Bibles in the, in the aisles as well. Um, that you can get along with, and uh, if, uh, if anything happens or anything, distractions today, I know we've got kids in today, no kids ministry, so just a reminder, there are some activity packs at the back um, that you can grab, and if you're busy with your kids this, today and you don't quite catch everything, all of Luke's nuggets, don't forget to check out the podcast, it's always there um, to listen to the sermons each week, and we've got the whole library there and on, on the website as well. So let's get stuck into Luke 7, 36 to 50, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith have saved you. Go in peace. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Lockie. When I was younger, nearly every house you visited in Melbourne had a front doormat. And the front doormats pretty much always said exactly the same thing. Can anyone uh, remember what those doormats used to say on them in big, bold letters? Welcome. Welcome. Big, bold letters, every doormat. Welcome. Well, I've noticed these days that I very rarely see those doormats. I was at a youth uh, planning meeting yesterday at Matt and Bet Callart's house, and I was really delighted to turn up and see a doormat that said, welcome on it. But these days, they seem to be as rare as hen's teeth. Um, you see doormats, but they've often got cats on them or dogs on them or patterns on them. But very rarely do they have the word welcome. These days, I've noticed that our welcome signs, our welcome mats have been superseded with our signs. What do our signs say? Beware of the dog. No unsolicited door knocking here. This property has an alarm. CCTV film in operation here. Our homes have become fortresses. 
And our spirit of welcome seems to have been replaced with a spirit of stay away. And as a culture, we seem to have lost the art of welcome. And if we're brutally honest, sometimes churches can feel the same. Today, we're looking at week five of our value series, and we're exploring the value today of being welcoming. And that's a really important value for us to have as a church. And so we're looking today at the value of being welcoming. And if you've been at Follow for more than two minutes, you would have heard us say that we want to be the most welcoming church on the planet, right? Remember Hannah Grange used to always get it right. She used to say wrong. She used to say in the planet, right? On the planet. We want to be the most welcoming church on the planet. And we say it all the time. In fact, if you go to our website, it's even more explicit than that. It says we will be the most welcoming church on the planet. And really, it's a statement of intention. It's an aspirational goal. And under that very bold statement, it says these words. It says, we believe that people should experience the embrace of God through us. We unconditionally care about all people. We will never lay eyes on someone who is not precious to God. They will be precious to us. Business guru Jack Mackey says, say what you want about who you think you are, but people believe what they experience. Let me say that again. Say what you want about who you think you are, but people believe what they experience. On our website, we can write all sorts of things and we can claim to want to be the most welcoming church on the planet, but the truth is people will believe what they experience. Now, the good news is this, that the vast majority and usually the first bit of feedback we receive from guests that follow is that they find us to be a warm, welcoming and friendly church. And I just want to commend you this morning because I think this has become part of our culture. A few weeks ago when we were talking about serving, I said that we don't want our values just to be something that's written down on a website. We want them to be things that are written on our heart and lived out in our lives. And by and large, I think the value of welcoming is something that has become a key part of our culture. It's one of the things that follows known for, that we are a warm, welcoming and friendly church. And so I want to start today by commending you and saying, well done for representing Jesus by being people that are welcoming to people that come and visit or people that we meet in our everyday lives. But at the same time, I also want to warn you, warn us, that it's never something that we should get comfortable with. Because the second we think we're good at it, we'll stop being good at it. And we're only as good at it as, it, at it, as people's last experience. And so last week, in the One Minute Welcome, we do a One Minute Welcome every week at church because we want to build this culture of welcoming. And some people love it and some people despise it, but we want to be people that are welcoming. And so every week we do a One Minute Welcome at the start of our service. And it's a chance for you to get up, leave your seat, go and meet someone you don't know, you haven't met, maybe you haven't seen for a while. And last week I was walking down the middle aisle like I normally do, looking for someone who I haven't met before. And I noticed that everyone was welcoming people and it was a beautiful picture But my eyes were drawn to a couple on my right-hand side, and they were a new couple at our church. They'd been coming for a number of weeks, and I noticed that they were sitting down. And everyone else around them was standing up, engaged in great conversation, but this one couple was sitting there, and throughout the whole one-minute welcome, no one spoke to them. And so I got over, and I went and said hello, and I welcomed them to church and said it was great to see them again. But it was a good reminder for me that even in the most welcoming church on the planet, Every week, 
there's probably someone sitting here feeling lonely. There's probably somebody who nobody talks to. And there'll always be someone who needs a prayer or a word of encouragement. And maybe today, Jesus wants you to be his hands and feet to that person. You see, as a culture becomes less welcoming, as a church today, I think it's a good time to remember that we're a counterculture, that we're different to the culture around us. And where parts of our culture are growing darker, for me, it's an opportunity for us to shine brighter. And so when people encounter us, they should see that we are the most welcoming people on the planet. Because if anyone should know what a welcome is like, it should be us. Because we have experienced the most extravagant welcome the world has ever known in the person of Jesus. You know, one thing I've observed about churches over the years is that often church culture is shaped by their senior leader. And so at my last church uh, that I went to, there was a pastor there who'd been there for about 13 years when I arrived. And he was a wonderful man, a great guy. He was incredibly welcoming. He was an old-fashioned pastor. He was very pastoral. He loved people. He enjoyed visiting people in their homes. He was warm, friendly, and welcoming. He was easygoing and relaxed. At the same time, he wasn't overly visionary. He wasn't quick to change things, even if they needed to be changed. And really, he just sort of rolled with the punches and did things as they came. That's not a criticism. That's just who he was. But what I noticed over a period of time as I looked at the culture of the church, the congregation at that church, is really they were just a reflection of their leader. In many ways, they were very warm and welcoming. When you walked in there, there was always a cup of tea and a smile and someone to say hello. They were very caring. They cared for people in really great ways. But at the same time, it was not an overly visionary church and perhaps a little old-fashioned in many ways. And I've seen that dynamic in every church I've ever been a part of, which is really, really, really scary for you. <laughs> because I think Luke Williams, one Luke Williams is probably enough. Some of you are thinking it's probably more than enough. And you don't need any more Luke Williams. Well, the good news is this, that as we look at our values... It's a good time to remind ourselves that our values always flow directly from our vision. What does our vision at follow? Jesus, absolutely. He's everywhere. Jesus is our vision. And so Jesus is the one we look to for how we're to live our lives and how we're to conduct ourselves as God's people. Jesus is the ultimate leader of this church. And my prayer and hope is that Jesus will shape the culture of this church more than any individual ever could. And so as we consider the question, what does it look like to be a welcoming church? Jesus is our model. And in today's passage from Luke 7, we see a wonderful example of welcoming from his life here on earth. The structure of today's message for those that are note takers is one key truth followed by two ways we can be a welcoming church. The one key truth, if you're a note taker, you can write this down, is simply this, that we welcome because he first welcomed us. That's a life-changing truth. We welcome because he first welcomed us. We see this key truth beautifully demonstrated in the story of the sinful woman. And so let me repaint the picture in your mind this morning. A Pharisee had invited Jesus over to his place for lunch. Now, Jesus was really well known by this stage. A word would have spread around town that Jesus was coming to this house for lunch. Jesus was also a controversial figure. 
He'd already gained a reputation for being a friend of sinners. In chapter 5, he had had a meal with Levi the tax collector, who subsequently became one of his disciples. And on that occasion, the Pharisees had asked Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? In the previous verses of Luke chapter 7, verse 34 and verse 35, Jesus highlights that. And he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I wonder how we'd respond this morning if we as a church were accused of the same thing. If people said, follow Baptist church is a friend of sinners, how would we respond to an accusation such as that? For me, I think it would be a wonderful compliment. And maybe it would show that we're truly Christ-like in our welcome. You see, the danger of churches is that we become a holy huddle where we huddle together and we only know Christian people and over a period of time we we don't mix and mingle with anybody else and it can come to the point where we don't have any friends in our life at all that aren't Christians. And what happens is it becomes a, a little bit like us versus them, a little bit like inside and outside. A pastor friend of mine was telling me the other day that they had a man recently become a Christian at their church wonderful news. Even though he's now a Christian, he hasn't yet booted his habit of smoking. A few weeks ago, one of the church members saw him smoking out the front of the church. And he came in all concerned to the pastor and he said something of the effect of, we've got people smoking at the front of our church these days. My pastor friend responded, I think, in exactly the same way that I would have. I said, he said, isn't that awesome? The church member looked at him a little bit shocked, a little bit taken aback. And he said, where else would we want him to be other than here worshipping God with us? He said, it's very sad that in many churches, you've got to believe and behave before you belong. If you believe what we believe, if you get your life all cleaned up, then maybe you'll have a chance one day of belonging in our club. It's not what the church is all about, is it? I love that Jesus embraced people even before they believed. Even when their life was still a mess, he embraced them. And it was through that incredible embrace that on so many occasions their life was changed. I think it reflects Jesus' attitude of embracing all types of people. And so this morning I want to tell you, if you're a smoker or a non-smoker, you're welcome here. If you're rich or if you're poor, you're welcome here. If you have all your teeth and they're sparkling white, or you're a Collingwood supporter. (laughs) Too soon? I didn't have that in my notes, but anyway, it's a Holy Spirit moment. You're welcome here, Mike. If your kids are well behaved, or they're noisy, you're welcome here. If you've got a good past, or a difficult past, you're welcome here. If you've got it all together or your life's a mess, join the club. You're welcome here. If you believe or even if you don't, you're welcome here. And I hope and pray that whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've come from, when you encounter people from this church, you will experience the warm embrace of God through his people. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And he's our vision. The opposite spirit, of course, is the spirit of the Pharisee. 
Jesus pulls down walls for people, but the Pharisees keep building them again. Jesus welcomes people in, but the Pharisee slams the door in their face. And the Pharisees obviously didn't approve of all the people that Jesus kept company with. But now Jesus finds himself in the house of one of these Pharisees. And they probably see it as a step up. Probably think Jesus is finally starting to mingle with some more civilised people. All throughout Jesus' life, we see that there was often tension between him and the Pharisees. And so this would have been a very interesting meal. It's probably held outdoors. Many of the more upper-class houses in those days had outer courtyards where guests would recline around a central table. And around that table would be low-lying couches. And people would lean up on the armrest at the table, and then their body and their legs would go behind them. And they'd recline around this table. And even though there were invited guests at these lunches, these occasions weren't private, and members of the general public could wander in at any time. And on this particular day, it says in verse 37, a woman described as sinful entered the courtyard while they were eating their meal. Now when it says sinful, let's not beat around the bush. What it actually means is that she was a prostitute. This woman would have been well known easily recognised, even notorious in the local neighbourhood, and people would have been shocked when someone like her entered the room. She certainly wouldn't have been warmly received as a welcome guest at this dinner party amongst these civilised religious people, particularly because when she arrived, she caused a scene. While they're eating their meal, this woman comes behind Jesus. She starts to weep. Everyone's looking at her at this point. Not only does she weep, but she starts to kiss Jesus' feet and she pours perfume all over them. You can imagine the looks, can't you, that both her and Jesus were getting in this moment. I reckon all eyes were fixed on them. And they were probably wondering, how is Jesus going to respond? How is this friend of sinners going to respond to this sinful woman who's basically all over him? I think as we observe Jesus' response this morning, we can learn a lot about welcome. I must confess, when I first chose this story for this particular topic, I chose it because of the extraordinary welcome of the woman. But as I studied it further, I came to see that the most extravagant welcome of this passage is not from the woman, although that is absolutely beautiful, but it's actually from Jesus himself. You see, this woman would have been used to being rejected. She would have found herself being looked down upon, talked about, pitied everywhere she went. She was a person that was familiar with rejection. She was seen as someone on the outside rather than someone on the inside of faith. She was seen as someone amongst the sinful rather than amongst the righteous. And yet the same despised woman who didn't belong at that meal was not rejected but received by Jesus. Someone on the outside was welcomed in by him. And even though everyone knew who this woman was and what she'd done, Jesus welcomes her into his presence. And we don't know the background of this woman. It's not recorded in scripture, but most commentators believe it's highly likely that this woman had already had her life changed by Jesus, either through a direct encounter that's not recorded in scripture or as one of the crowd who was changed by his teaching. And so as she comes to Jesus on this occasion, she knew how blessed she was to know Jesus because she didn't deserve it. As I said in verse 47, she'd been forgiven much. 
It's because of that life change that she found herself here at Jesus' feet, weeping in gratitude and worship. And Jesus, in the most welcoming and the most wonderful way, affirms her, perhaps for the first time in her life, and tells her that despite her many sins, she is forgiven and that her faith has saved her, and because of that, she can go in peace. Now, the thing I think we need to understand about this story is that in many ways, it's prophetic. It's really giving us a foretaste of the power of the gospel in our lives through Jesus' death and resurrection. Because I think we can read this story and we could easily you know, familiarise ourselves or place ourselves with the religious people. But the truth is that you and I are the sinful woman in this story. At one time or another, we found ourselves on the outside, just like this woman. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We were lost and dead in our sins without a hope in the world. We were once enemies of God, separated from a holy God by our sin. Our sin had locked us out of a relationship with the God who created us. It was like there was a locked door. It was padlocked. It was boarded up. And no matter what we do, we couldn't force our way from the outside in. And the worst part about it is this, that we didn't even try. We'd actually turned away. Not only was there a locked door, but we turned in the opposite direction and we were deliberately walking away from God. We didn't want him. We didn't feel like we even needed him. Romans 3 said there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. The fact that any of us can claim this morning to be in relationship with God is quite extraordinary. And it's only down to the amazing grace of God and the work of the Spirit who opened our eyes to the truth that we needed a Saviour. As the Holy Spirit started to work in our life, as God pursued us, he turned us around as we were walking away from God and he pointed us back in the direction of God. And as we looked back to God, we saw a welcome mat laid down in the shape of a cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. That is the powerful truth of the gospel, that whoever calls on the name of Jesus and declares with their mouth and believes in their heart that he is Lord will be saved. That is glorious good news, that while we were once outsiders, we are welcomed back into relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. The only way that woman could be accepted in that courtyard was through the welcome of Jesus. The only way we can enter God's presence is through the exact same person. Jesus is the door opener. He's the barrier remover. He's the wall smasher. He's the welcome mat that welcomes us back into the presence of God, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace because of him. If you are a Christian here this morning, you have received the most generous, the most undeserved, the most extravagant, and the most life-changing welcome you could ever experience in him. And let me tell you this morning, church, we will only ever be the most welcoming church on the planet if we are gripped afresh by that truth every single day of our lives. The key truth is that we welcome because he first welcomed us. So if Jesus removed the barriers 
that kept us from God. We should also remove any barriers that keep other people from encountering God as well. And one of the ways we do that is through Christ-like welcome. That's the key truth. And so how do we become a welcoming church? Well, this morning, the first way we become a welcoming church is that we need to see people as precious. We need to see people as precious. There will never be a person who walks in those back doors who wasn't first knitted together in their mother's womb by a God who designed them uniquely and loves them unconditionally. There's not one person who will enter this place who has not been created in the image of God and you will never lay eyes on a single person in your entire life who is not precious to God. And so if they're precious enough for God to send his beloved son for them, then they should be precious enough for us to love them unconditionally in the way we welcome them. At this meal at Simon's house, the same woman walked into the same room and yet the way the Pharisees saw her and the way Jesus saw her was completely different. The Pharisee looked at her, this woman, and thought, if you knew what she's done, Jesus looked at her and said, you're forgiven. The Pharisee looked at her and thought, you don't belong here. Jesus embraced her and showed her that she was loved. The Pharisee ignored the woman completely, but Jesus welcomed her in. The Pharisee looked at her and thought, I'm better than you. Jesus taught him that he was just as needy when it came to forgiveness. The Pharisee looked at the woman and thought, she's not worth much. Jesus looked at the woman and saw her as precious. See, this is what the Pharisees do. They put up walls, they shut people out, they quick to judge, they make it us versus them. But Jesus takes people from the outside and he welcomes them in. And so I wonder when people walk into our church, whether we see them the way Jesus does. I wonder what people experience from us when we meet them here at Follow. Because I was thinking about this sinful woman during the week. And I was pondering how daunting it would have been for her to walk into that courtyard. Imagine the emotion walking into this courtyard full of religious people. I mean, she knew the life she lived. She would have been anxious about being judged and having people look down at her. She'd be used to that. But she probably wondered if anyone would notice her. And if they did, would they reject her? And if it wasn't for Jesus, if we took Jesus out of this story, I think her worst fears would have come to pass. We see it in the attitude of the Pharisee in verse 39. It says, When the Pharisee who had invited him there invited Jesus there, saw how the woman treated him, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. It's amazing how quick we are to judge people, isn't it? We say, oh no, no, we're not, we don't judge people. But we are, we're quick to judge by people's appearance, by their background, by their past. As soon as we lay eyes on someone, we're already immediately making a judgment call on who they are and what they're worth. It's almost like we can't help it. Man judges the outward appearance, but Scripture tells us that God knows the heart. As I pondered the woman this week, it saddened me to think that right around the world this very day, there may be many people having the exact same experience as they finally strike up the courage to walk into a church for the first time. To walk into a room full, filled with religious people, gripped by the same fears, the same thoughts, the same anxieties as this woman, wondering whether they will be received or rejected. 
Have you ever heard someone say, if I went to church, the roof would fall in? You hear it all the time, don't you? And what they're really saying is this. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of people like us. They obviously don't know us. Because if they did, they'd know we're not that dissimilar on a lot of occasions. Sadly, I think many people think to themselves, I already feel judged, so why would I go to church? What a sad reflection on church, because if that's the experience of people walking into our churches, then we represent the Pharisees more than we represent Jesus. May that never be the case for people that encounter us. May they see something radically different. May they feel the warm embrace of Jesus through his people. You see, the Pharisees saw her as a problem. Jesus saw her as precious. And when we see people through the Jesus filter, we will see them in the same way. Every time we encounter someone in our lives or at church, we have the same choice in the way we see and the way we treat people. Will we treat them like a Pharisee or will we embrace them like Jesus? One of the most challenging parables in all the scriptures found in Matthew chapter 25. It's a parable of the sheep and the goats. It's a picture of Jesus on Judgment Day. And it says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, the righteous ones, He'll say, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Let me tell you, that is the greatest sentence you'll ever hear in your earbuds. To be there on that day and to hear that sentence makes everything else in life pale into insignificance to hear those words on that day. It should shape the way that we live our lives. Verse 35, he says, For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Listen to this bit. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Get a hold of this truth this morning, church, that every time we cross the room to greet a stranger, every time we care for a guest in our midst, it's like we're caring for Jesus himself because Jesus cares this morning about what experience they will have in our midst. And I reckon that changes the way we see people. We're going to be the most welcoming church on the planet. We need to see people like Jesus did. We need to see people as precious. But secondly, if we're going to be the most welcoming church on the planet, we need to be people who are extravagant with our welcome. Most of you would know that I grew up at Mentone Baptist Church. My grandfather had pastored there many years earlier and I started attending there when I was in the womb. Mentone Baptist is not just where I grew up, but it's also where I ended up getting married. Kim visited one day, she saw my flowing long locks and she instantly fell in love. And when I finally came around, we tied the knot. It's very romantic. Please don't ask her for her version of the story might be the exact opposite, but I'm your pastor. 
a couple of years after we were married, we felt that God was prompting us to move on. We'd move location. We needed to find something more local. And so we decided that we'd go find a church that wasn't just for Luke and his wife. It was for us as a couple. By that stage, we'd moved to Caram Downs. And so we started looking at churches down on the Mornington Peninsula. And I'd only ever been part of one church. And so looking at other churches was a new experience for me. And even though I'm a reasonably outgoing kind of person, it was something so much more daunting than I ever would have imagined. You see, I'd always, I'd always been an insider. I mean, St. Baptist was one of the crew. But for the first time in my life, I was an outsider going into a new church environment. Kim and I were determined to find a new place to worship. And after visiting a number of different churches, there was one church that we really liked. It was less than 10 minutes from home. It had great kids' ministry, passionate worship, good preaching, and lots of different things that we could get involved in. And man, it looked welcoming. When you walked in there, it was vibrant. People were laughing and chatting. And for all the regulars, it was a very welcoming place to be. But what we soon painfully discovered is for those who didn't already belong there, it was like an impenetrable wall. It was almost impossible to break into the circle to navigate our way through the cliques. And it wasn't from a lack of trying. We had three months there. We visited every single week. I sat in the same seat amongst people our age. I bought some tickets and some friends and uh, took them to like a play that they'd produced. I got involved in their social football game. And after three months, we had one person in three months who spoke to us. And eventually, we just gave up. It was such a discouraging experience and I thought about all the effort that went into making that church happen every Sunday and the one thing that let it down was the people. They had a bare minimum approach to welcome. They saw it as someone else's job, not my job. And so we left that place discouraged. And what it taught me is this, that we can feel like our churches are really welcoming places and they may be for the regulars who are here every week in the comfortable circles they find themselves in, but for guests who come to churches for the first time, they don't always experience the love of Jesus when they visit. In the meantime, my parents and my brothers had started attending a new church in Cheltenham. It's about 35 minutes away from our house. And so we went to visit. We had no intention of staying because it was too far away from home. But when we arrived at that church, we had the exact opposite experience as the church we visited on the peninsula. I mean, some of it was the same. The preaching was good and the worship was great. The kids' ministry was also terrific. That was all the same. The people looked like they were friendly. There seemed to be a real sense of community there as well. But the difference was this, that they genuinely seemed like they wanted us to be part of it. The vast majority of people carried an extravagant spirit of welcome and we felt the warm embrace of Jesus the second we walked in the front doors of, those church, of that church. And even though it was more than 30 minutes away from our home, we decided to make it our home church. And it was worth the drive because of the welcome we received. You see, the welcome is not just the things we do. It's the spirit we carry. It affects the way we think about refugees. It shapes our attitudes towards those who are hurting, broken and lost. It governs our actions towards the poor, the homeless and the unloved. It changes the way we see people regardless of the circumstances they come from, and it shapes the way that we treat our guests. Follow, we're trying to be extravagant in our welcome. I need a volunteer this morning. I'm going to ask this lovely young lady down here in the second row to come up. Let's give her a warm welcome. This is Kim. Kim and I met in the one-minute welcome today. 
visiting church for the first time. Kim, are you married? No. Yes? <laughs> You're obviously married to a very, very lucky man because yeah. you are a knockout. And um, wonderful. I'm going to give you a kiss because we do holy kisses here at Follow. That was a holy kiss. Welcome to church today. Thank you. It's wonderful to have you with us. Just to clarify, this is not how we treat first-time guests, right? We're a holy kiss church, but we don't use tongue usually. If I still want chewy, I think you've got my chewy now. Just another point of clarification, this is actually my wife. If you are visiting, this is not a random woman, I would not be your pastor, I'd be in prison, right? So this is actually my wife. But let's pretend today that my wife is visiting for the first time and she's got a welcome card, look at that. You've got a welcome card that you've filled out, well done. That's awesome, you've used your pen, it's on your seat over there. And so you've got a welcome card, do you know where you're meant to put that welcome card when you fill it out? No. No, awesome, well let me take you, I'm going to show you, come with me. We're going to go over, we've got this thing called the hub. Yeah, and the hub is a place where you get a whole bunch of information about the church. Everything you need to know is found at the hub. It's just over here. I'm like, look at this. You've got Kirsty Cordes is on the hub today. She is a, look how welcoming she is. She is one of the best welcomers. She is here to welcome you today. Kirsty, this is Kim. She's here for the first time. And um, she's um, wanting to put her welcome card in. So where does she put that? In the red letterbox. Excellent. She puts it in the red letterbox. Look at this. Post all forms here. Excellent. So she's put her thing in there. I'm going to show us some information about the church. But then I'm going to ask her, Kim, have you had your free coffee yet today? No, I haven't. Oh, let me take you over to the coffee machine. Come over with me. Come over here. We have a um, token hipster. You can only serve coffee if you've got a beard like that. Unless you're a woman, then it's not a prerequisite. But Hayden is one of our baristas, and he'd like to serve a coffee for you today. How do you have it? Hi, how are you going? Hi, how are you? What can I get you? Awesome. Kim has a half-strength cappuccino, which means just warm milk for the price of coffee. It's great. It looks like you're actually getting one. This is great. We're going to let him keep doing it. Kim's going to get a coffee because she's a you know, helpful volunteer. But as we're talking over coffee, Kim says, oh, I want to know more about the women's ministry at church. And I'm like, well, I'm the lead pastor. I don't know who runs the women's ministry. I'm not sure. But let me go over here. Lucky for me, the operations team. They have put together an information wall. And over here, everything you need to know about the church is here. It's got a new building over there, but it's got all the people that lead their different ministries. So I'm looking up here now, women's ministry. Mary Milstead. You're going to love Mary. Let me take you and introduce you to Mary. <laughs> Hurry up with the coffee, mate. <laughs> Running out of time for the illustration. This is Mary Milstead. Mary does a wonderful job of leading our women's ministry. They've got this event coming up soon, Belgrave Heights. Got a flyer. She's a ministry director, so she's always prepared to welcome. And she is an extravagant welcomer because she knows that precious people are precious, right? And that we are an extravagantly welcoming church. And so she's going to tell Kim all about that event. Mary, I've got to go and catch up with some other people. Do you mind if I leave Kim with you? You can introduce her to some other people before you go home. That would be wonderful. She's a great welcomer. She's going to do a great job of it. Now, I'm moving on because this is what I call gold time. Now, gold time after the service doesn't mean I'm hanging out with my friends. I'm going to hang out with them during the week. doesn't mean that I'm getting a coffee, although, Hayden, you can make me one too. Um, maybe I'll get one at the end of the day. But this is gold time. And this is a time where I'm, I'm looking around because, you know what? Our first failure, what was it? Welcome. We're spirit-led. That's the first welcome, right? You've already forgotten. But we're spirit-led people. So on a Sunday, I'm saying, Lord, who do I need to talk to today? Who's by themselves? Who can I go and greet? So I'm going over, I'm grabbing the next person, and I'm introducing myself to them, and then I'm starting the process all over again. 
All right, so Kim, thank you. Let's give her a warm welcome, a, a big thank you. Did a wonderful job. So that is a new term, gold time, right? And every time you volunteer, you're going to get a coffee. So I have lots of volunteers next time. But you know what? Kim could have come to church for the first time, right? She might have, we don't know what she's going through in life. She might have a horrible husband. She might be going through all sorts of traumatic things in her life. And she's come to church. It might be her last resort. And Kim could come in those doors anytime for the first time. And she could meet the welcome team and do a great job. And she could enjoy the hospitality. And she could even get a coffee. She could be part of our one-minute welcome. But let me tell you, if nobody talks to her, we might as well not do any of it. Because what takes it from a bare minimum welcome to an extravagant welcome is you. It's you. It's the way you embrace people with the love of Jesus in your life. And it happens after a service. It happens during the week. It happens in your workplace. It happens everywhere you go because welcoming is not just the things we do. It's the spirit we carry. In this story, the Pharisee's approach to welcome was a bare minimum one. Not only did the Pharisee undervalue the woman, but he also undervalued Jesus. Jesus was meant to be his guest of honour. There are three parts of a standard welcome in their culture. It was to kiss the guests on both cheeks. I did better than that. I've got Kim on the lips. It was to put some inexpensive oil on their forehead. And it was to wash the guests' feet. Simon the Pharisee failed to do any of these in his welcome of Jesus. But the woman, on the other hand, this is where we can learn something from this woman. She goes over and beyond with her welcome of Jesus. She's extravagant with her welcome. So what it says, it said, Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Maybe you hadn't even seen her yet. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus uses this sinful woman as an example of an extravagant welcome. Instead of giving him water for his feet, she wet his feet with her tears and washed them with her hair. To put your hair down in those days was unheard of. A woman only let her hair down for her husband, for someone she truly loved. It was the equivalent of being naked in public. But she didn't care. She let her hair down and she used it to wash his feet. Instead of kissing Jesus on the cheek, she stooped down and she couldn't stop kissing his feet. Instead of anointing his forehead with cheap oil, she poured expensive perfume all over his feet. There was once a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody and nobody. There was an important job to be done and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. The sinful woman did what anybody could have done, what everybody should have done, but what nobody else did. And she becomes an example for us to follow when it comes to welcoming our guests. She wasn't a bare minimum kind of a welcomer. She was extravagant with her welcome. A culture of extravagant welcome is a culture where everyone sees welcoming not as an obligation, but as a joyful privilege of following Christ. For something to truly be of value, it needs to be lived out consistently by a community. Welcome 
is the gateway to belonging. We live in a world that longs to belong. Today and every day, that's the opportunity that we have before us as we represent Jesus in the way that we welcome. We welcome because he first welcomed us. And so let us see people as Jesus did, as people that are precious. And let our welcome be extravagant to the glory of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are just in absolute awe that we were outsiders because we deserve to be. And yet by your amazing, life-changing grace through the work of your Son at the cross, you opened up the way for us to step from being outside to being inside, to being, from being enemies of God to being children of God. What an incredible privilege that is. Lord, I pray that that truth would change our hearts and our lives every single day we live here on planet Earth. And Lord, may it shape the way that we see other people. May we see them as precious and may we welcome them in the same extravagant way that you have welcomed us. And as we do, Lord, we believe that people, through your people, will come to know you in a life-changing way. And their lives will be changed because they said one day, I worked up the courage to step into a church. I met a Christian at work. I met a Christian in my family. And I experienced a welcome and a love like nothing else I'd ever experienced from anyone else in my life. Lord, I pray that that would be the prayer of many people into the future of our lives, into the future of this church. May we truly be the most welcoming church on the planet because we represent a saviour who's extravagant with his welcome. We pray this today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.